to John chapter 1. This Advent season, we, are, we began last week uh, working our way through John's prologue in John 1. We're at verses 4 and 5 today, but I'll read the entire 18 verses uh, beginning in John 1, 1 this morning. This is God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is God's word to us. Let's pray. Father, would you open our hearts now? Cause our hearts to hear what our ears have taken in and what our ears will hear now. Lord, open our hearts. Make us teachable. Help us to listen. Lord, many things distract us at this season and time. Many things weigh on our hearts and pull and stretch and and work against faith. Lord, would you give us strengthened faith today that we would both hear and respond by trusting and loving you more, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, as I mentioned, John uh, begins in the first three verses, as we looked last week, introducing us to the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Word who has come in the flesh. And now in verses 4 and 5, which is where we'll focus today, he adds two more descriptions, life and light. And both of these terms are so common to us that if we're reading John 1, we often just kind of move past it. Light and life, we kind of know that, we've seen it before. It appears in Scripture, not just in the New Testament, it's throughout the Old Testament that God reveals himself through light, that God is the giver of life. It's just familiar to us. And so we might be tempted to move beyond it. We, we find it familiar not only in Scripture, but we even sing of it. Hark the herald angels sing. We have that line, Hail the Son of Righteousness, life and light to all he brings, his risen with healing in his wings. And so we sing of this at Christmas time. And because it is so familiar, we might be inclined to miss what John is getting at here. And so that's why we're slowing down and just looking at these two verses today. I don't want us to miss what he is saying to us. Not only is the, are the ideas of light and life familiar in Scripture, but also darkness. And we see John bring that in in verse 5 as a contrast to light, which makes sense. Light is 
the opposite of darkness, or darkness the opposite of light. It is the opposition of all that is good and true. Now, darkness isn't actually a thing the way light is. Light is something. Darkness is the absence of light. But spiritually, we understand that darkness represents something. And this is something that I want to make clear at the outset, that darkness and light are both used here symbolically as metaphors. We're not talking about physical light and physical darkness, although many of the truths that are written of here relate to both. And God certainly spoke out of the darkness, let there be light, didn't he? He created the light. And so while it is true of the physical sense, God or John is speaking here and writing to us about the spiritual light and darkness. So when we understand spiritual warfare and darkness, it, we understand that it represents something. Let me say at the outset that John is not teaching the, mystic, the Eastern uh, thought of um, yin and yang, that there are two equally opposing forces in the universe good and evil that are at odds with each other. That is not a biblical understanding of our universe. God alone is omnipotent. God alone is sovereign and he is good. Satan is a created being. He is not equal to him in power, in wisdom, or in rule. Yet Satan's opposition is, of course, real and something that we shouldn't treat as trivial. But I just don't want any of you thinking that it's somehow equal to God as the yin and the yang idea present, that there are these two opposing forces and kind of wonder who's going to win. That's, that's not how our universe is set up. Darkness is the absence of light, and so evil is the absence of good, and yet Satan and those who oppose God personify evil. They are the person, Satan and the demonic realm are the persons behind this image of darkness. And so we can describe the darkness as having power. And we see Paul do this in Ephesians 6, where he says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so it's not this ambiguous force that's being represented by the darkness, but specifically Satan and all of those who would do his bidding or follow him or reject God or oppose God or, or any of the above. So this text then is designed in our own time, in our own age, when we see powers of darkness at work, we, we might describe things that are, are in opposition to who God is, that oppose goodness and truth and love and and, and, and we see these things at work. This text is designed to strengthen our hearts that we might know that Christ's light and life have come and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness will not overcome it. All those who defy their creator will be overcome by the light. We see this promise of the fulfillment, uh, or the promise given the fulfillment is in Christ all the way back to Genesis 3.15. We talk about this quite a bit. I tend to bring it in a lot. But I, I, you know, I'm always wanting you to see that thread of redemption that runs throughout all of Scripture. So all the way back in Genesis 3.15, there's that promise that the seed of the woman will crush, uh, that he, the, the, the seed of the woman, uh, his, his heel will be bruised uh, by the serpent, but the, 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 the seed would crush the serpent's head. And Jesus certainly did that through his death and resurrection. So the darkness has not overcome it. So what we celebrate then in the coming of Jesus in this, in this period, in this time, the word who was in the beginning with God, the word who was God, in whom is life 
and his life is the light of men. And so looking now in verse 4, that's the first statement John makes. In him was life. So John's taking us from this understanding of Christ's deity. Uh, first, from, in verse 1, from his eternality, showing us that he's, he is divine from his eternality. Then he, he describes the distinction between the Father and the Son, setting up for us the understanding of the Trinity. And then he expresses Christ's divinity through his creative power, that he is God because he made all things. And now he is addressing that in him is life. Now, John could say from him is life, and that would certainly be true because our life is from him. He spoke life into existence. But he says in him is life because he's speaking not of physical life, but again, spiritual life. I'm probably going to repeat this a lot today. Uh, because it's so important that we understand what's being described here. The prologue is introducing us to who Jesus is. John already explains at the end of his gospel, or already, I guess he is yet to explain, but we've already peeked ahead. We know at the end of his gospel he says, I've written these things that you may believe, and that by believing you can have life in his name. So he's writing this introduction to us that we might know who Jesus is, that we might understand so that we believe and have life in his name. So life is in him. In other words, it is a part of who he is. This is true, of course, of the entire Godhead as we dealt with the Trinity last week. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit equally share attributes, the same mind. So when we say anything is true uh, in that sense of attributes, uh, what distinguishes them is roles. So when we speak of attributes here, we speak of them similarly. And so life is in the Son. Life that, that is in the Son here is speaking, though, to this spiritual life. The way that John uses this over and over and it gets translated into English is either life or eternal life. And so if that's helpful here, then, then keep that in mind. That's what John is getting at, is eternal life or salvation. So the spiritual life that John is describing there is linked with his identity as the Word. So this introduction, this, this, this whole section is tied together. And it's, it's tied to the life that we find in Christ. It's tied to his identity as the word or the speech, right? That he is the revelation of the Father to us. And this explanation is, is found in Jesus' own words in John 6 when he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Do you remember when Jesus said this? It was the day after he fed the 5,000. And so after feeding the 5,000, you can picture this. It was a miraculous event. Everybody was aware that something had happened, something incredible had happened, that Jesus had begun passing out food and everyone had gotten fed. And then at the end, from this one lunch, uh, they collected 12 baskets. And you can imagine how even those who didn't see all of that happening, that the word spread. So the very next day, they followed him. He went across the lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and they went across and followed him to the other side. They were looking for, Jesus said they were looking for another free lunch. But I think he knew that they were looking for another sign because he draws that out of them. As he confronts them with this thing of, you know, you're really just looking for more free food. They they were looking, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? And so he, he confronts them on this. He calls them to faith. And what do they do? Well, what sign are you going to show us? They respond exactly the same way that we might expect. They want to see the sign. And 
So what does Jesus do with these words, I am the bread of life, and he explains this whole story of the manna? Well, he's taking them back to something that is so central to their identity, something that is not just a history that they understand. It is their history. It's a part of who they are. From childhood, the people of, of, of the nation of Israel have grown up celebrating the Passover every year. So they know the story of the deliverance from Egypt. They know the story of the provision in the wilderness of the manna. And so Jesus is taking them back there to show them, that you think this is incredible, the story of the manna? Something you've only heard about, you've never seen with your eyes? It was incredible, yes. But something more incredible is about to happen. So Jesus explains to them that he is the bread of life. This I am statement that he uses here, you're probably familiar with. John uses uh, seven, records seven of these in his gospel of where Jesus used the statement, I am, and then said something, I am the bread of life, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the light of the world, Jesus says. And this is linked back to Moses' questioning of God before God revealed his name to his people. And he sends Moses, while they're still in Egypt, to, to, to deliver the people or lead the people out of Egypt. And Moses says, uh, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is, I am the self-existent one. I am the one who has always been. I'm not created. I am the creator. And so God reveals something of himself uh, in his name, as he always does. And so when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, there were those, maybe not all the people, but there were those among them who certainly picked up what he was putting down. They smelled what he was cooking. They heard his claim to divinity, and they responded. In fact, in one instance, not of one of the I am statements, but where Jesus claimed divinity in another case in John 10, we see them pick up rocks. Right? They want to stone him. They want to kill him for this. So the connection then with bread, the bread of life, and the word is found by going back and looking to the, the passage that we read in Deuteronomy 8.3 where Moses says to the people after all this happened, and he humbled you and let you hunger, and he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And we remember that when Jesus was tempted after fasting for 40 days, going without food, clearly hungry, Satan tempts him to turn stones into bread. He responds by quoting this passage. So how does all this fit together? Well, the bread of life, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John's told us he is the word of God in the flesh. He is pointing his hearers now here that in me is life. This is where life is found. In him was life. He is not only the source of all life, he is the fountain of eternal life through whom we can be saved from our true hunger. Jesus is life. And in his coming to bring that life, he also brings light. The life is the light. It shines. Again, the term light is not a physical light. It's a spiritual light that's being referred to here. Yet we know that as Creator, Jesus spoke physical light into existence, but John is pointing to our spiritual condition, and that's the way that he uses darkness and light throughout his gospel and his epistles. Sin had darkened the world. We get this. We understand the effects of sin. We see it every day in our world. No one has to, 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 to twist our arms really hard for us to nod and agree that our world is marked by sin. 
The effects are all around us, and there's a darkness with it. But the light was never extinguished. God has revealed himself to all, for example, in the light of creation. This is what Romans 1 opens with. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have clearly been perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. But this wasn't the only means of uh, God's revelation, general revelation as we'd call it, but there was also special revelation throughout the history of God's people. Through Moses, when he, he gave him the law at Mount Sinai, we even get a chance to see the connection. There's, there's a physical light or, or, or a shining that happens when, when Moses comes down. His face is reflective, right? The people get to see it. It's, a, it's, a, it's one of those tutoring tools that God uses for his people that they could see that as a result of talking to God, Moses' light or face shines as light. We think of the Shekinah glory, the glory that led in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, the people through the wilderness. And later when the temple was completed after it was constructed, uh, the Shekinah glory filled the temple of God. We think of the psalmist who wrote, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And the Psalms are filled with messages of this image of life and light. But I, this particular verse, verse 36, or chapter 36, verse 9 in Psalm, I, it's almost saying the same thing that John is saying here. It's just worded a little bit differently. So light was never extinguished, even though the world was darkened by sin and death. But when Jesus came, he brings the light in full. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He shines the light in a way that mankind had yet to see. The prophet Isaiah foretold the coming of Jesus, writing, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. When author D.A. Carson writes, Life and light are almost universal religious symbols, but in John's usage they are not sentimental props but ways of focusing on the excellencies of the word. John wants us to see Jesus for who he is, that he is light and he is life. The word that has come to shine the light of his glory in the world that we may see and possess as we see at the end of his gospel. Life, salvation by faith that we might live eternally. Now, the correlation between light and life is clear. In creation, we understand this, that most life flourishes under light. It needs light. There are exceptions to this in the dark crevices of the ocean and so forth. But for the most part, if you don't put your plants in light, they're going to die. We understand this. We understand why then God's first creative act was let there be light. But light also reveals. Light helps us to see. Uh, We see by the light, spiritual light, again, we're speaking of, we see our sin, our need to repent. By the light of the law, we see our God and our Savior that we might trust him. So light has this revealing characteristic. Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus is the word, the speech. He reveals the Father to us. Another characteristic of light is that it warms It's a natural effect of light. Anything that produces light creates heat. Even things that they call cool light, you find if you go to unscrew them, are not cool. Uh, There's a natural connection to the fact that it's still got some warmth to it. But there's two aspects to the warmth that comes from light. Uh, 
For example, in, in Psalm 68.2, it says, As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. So there's a sense that the light reveals judgment to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, the light it has a warming effect, a drawing effect. I've come into the world, Jesus says, as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The living word shines the light both to warn of just wrath for sin and to draw us to salvation by faith. Light also illumines our path that we might know how to live, that we might know how to live life to the fullest. The psalmist writes, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so his light shows us the way in which to go. So in this season of Advent, we celebrate the light of Christ, which has come to shine. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now in verse 5, John speaks and contrasts now the light to the darkness. The light shines in the darkness, he says, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light overcomes darkness. That's what light does by nature. It doesn't have to work at it. It hasn't, doesn't have to do anything creative. It's very predictable. If you flip on the light, the darkness goes away. It does it every time. You don't have to wonder, is today the day that when I bring light into darkness, it's not going to make the darkness go away? I mean, it just that's what it does. If you've ever had the experience of being in complete darkness, you know the, the vividness of that ex- experience. It kind of sticks with you. I remember spelunking or caving when I was in Boy Scouts. And, you know, we crawled through all these cracks and crevices and mud and, and all this. But we, we finally worked our way deep enough into the cave where there was this opening. And so our leader had us turn off all of our headlamps. And I remember, I'll, I'll, it's just one of those things you don't forget. There was absolutely no light. And, you, you know, we were all doing this, you know, trying to perceive some kind of motion, try to see something, you know, looking for something that, that would reveal light. There was no light. It was complete and absolute darkness. And after a while, it almost becomes a little bit claustrophobic because you're so accustomed to perceiving something and your perception is just gone. But then he would turn on his light, and the darkness begins to disappear. It begins to go away, and then we would all turn on our lights, and the darkness would run further and further and further. That's what John says in his first epistle. The darkness is passing, and the true light is already shining. And that's, that's the idea behind this light. The light is, it has, has shined, it is shining, it will shine. That's the, the tense, it's present tense, but it's ongoing here in John chapter 1, verse 5. The light continues to shine. So the one who spoke physical light into existence is the spiritual light of life who has shown, is shining, and will continue to shine. And as we look forward in Revelation 22, we see this, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the, light, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Because Christ is eternal, which is what John establishes in the first three verses here, this light is persistent in such a way that the darkness cannot overcome it. It has not overcome it. It cannot overcome it. It will not overcome it. And this is our great hope. In the same way that the light is being referred to spiritually, darkness is also representative of spiritual darkness. That is, it portrays the forces behind what we understand as spiritual darkness. 
John uses this throughout his gospel as a metaphor for evil in John 3.19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in chapter 12, Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Again, I want to say that darkness is not a power unto itself. It's not a yin and yang in the universe. This is not, uh, you know, the force and the, the, the dark side or, you know, the, you know, the, the Star Wars metaphor. Whatever uh, imagery you, you think of, that's, that's not how the Bible represents the universe. But darkness is representative of those particular forces, the persons behind it. As we read in Ephesians 6, it's the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's the demonic realm, Satan and his realm, those who love darkness because they don't want their works exposed. And the same is true of humans who hate goodness and truth, who follow this worldly prince. It's not physical darkness here that we're to be afraid of. Uh, but the spiritual darkness, because spiritual light exposes that what we are doing is evil. So there's, there, you know, there are correlations we can think of. You know, we think of criminals doing most of their work at night because they can't be seen. And I get that there are correlations to the physical realm, but it's not physical darkness that, that we're encouraged here to be cautioned by, but a spiritual darkness that we want to resist by pursuing the light, which causes the darkness to flee. That's the beauty of it all, is as we pursue Christ, his light causes the darkness to flee. And that's what John is trying to get us to understand here, that the light and the life that he's describing here is a person. It's a person, and his name is Jesus. He will put an end to darkness forever. This is what we say, and we certainly sing of. I mentioned Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We're going to sing that in closing today. Uh, This is what we think of at Christmas time. And, 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 he's, and, and Jesus has come to declare, to, to proclaim life and light to the world. And there's that sense in, in the created order that he, he does that to all people. But there's a unique way that he brings life and light to those who believe. It's the fullest way, the most comprehensible way. For the believer, we see the glimmer of light as we look backward. We mentioned Genesis 3.15, we could think of uh, the, the giving of the law, we could think of the, the serpent being raised up in the wilderness or the, the covenants that were given to the forefathers, the prophecies that were spoken and written of so many times about the coming Messiah. All of these were pointing this, this glimmer, almost like if you were in the dark and, and lights were coming around a building. Like you can see it coming, but you haven't seen the light yet. But when Jesus comes, then the light comes in full. And we see the fullness of this life and light in the face of Jesus. His light is so powerfully bright that the darkness is forced to flee. It cannot remain and it cannot overcome this powerful light. This is the hope of Christmas, what we remember and celebrate each Advent season, that Jesus has come and the darkness is forced to flee. I would love to stop right there, but I know there's probably at least a third of you who are thinking, "Uh uh-uh. The darkness hasn't fleed. I feel the darkness more than I feel the light right now. Some of you, that, that's your reality. It's not because you're evil. It's not because God hasn't saved you. If you're trusting in Christ alone, you're His. 
But there are seasons in our lives. All of us have or will experience such seasons when the darkness is real. And so we read a passage like this and we say, you know, Christ has come. The darkness is supposed to flee. Why is the darkness still here? We have ways of expressing this like the now and the not yet. The fact that the kingdom has come and yet it's not been fully realized or consummated. Or We talk about our sin, that we've been saved from the power and the penalty of sin, but we haven't yet been saved from the presence of sin. And we understand that dynamic, that there's, there's a sense of us waiting for completion, for fulfillment, for consummation. We understand that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. This is, this is how we get through, in part. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, but... What about the realities of the darkness as we face them? Maybe you're experiencing loneliness. Maybe this is a season where you remember someone who has died who's no longer with us. Maybe you're remembering with deep longing the years gone by, just memories. Memories that you wish weren't just memories. Memories that you wish uh, you could bring back into reality, but as you remember them, you realize they are only memories. Maybe you're regretting things from the past things that you've done that you wish you could go back and undo or redo or have a second chance at, or maybe you're lamenting suffering of things that have been done to you or against you. Maybe you're struggling with envy. In a season when you see so many people who seem to be able to have it all and you wish you could provide your loved ones and family members the same material experiences other people celebrate and enjoy, and you find that envy is crippling your heart. Maybe your body's sick or aged or just doesn't keep up with all that you want to do in life and you feel trapped. I am not trying to depress us all and I am not trying to, to, to sow seeds of despair. If you're not there, great. Look at the light, celebrate the light, sing with joy. But for those who are exactly where I'm describing, whose experiences. This is, this is where you are, or something similar. How do we see the light? How do we savor the light? How do we celebrate the light? Let me say this. When we think of spiritual darkness, we often think of the spectacular. Spiritual warfare and all the, you know, the books and, the, and, and, and the, the ideas that surround that. But the spiritual darkness, I think, is often in the mundane. I would, I would actually go this far to say that the spiritual darkness is usually in the mundane. The spectacular stuff is when people rally around us and come alongside us and help us and we see wonderful things. The mundane is where we get just stuck in the ditch and the darkness just piles on top of us. How do we see the light? First... And none of this is going to change your life. This is not going to revolutionize you. If you're waiting for five answers from Seth that are going to just completely turn your world upside down, none of this is going to do this because you know all the answers already. But let me say them to you. First, it starts with faith. Not only can we say without faith it is impossible to please God, but we also know this is why John is writing this. John has written this that you would trust, that you would believe, that you would have life in the name of Jesus. So the first step is, are we trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins? If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. There are some of you who may 
Know that you're saved. You've trusted in Christ. That's not a question for you. But are you walking in that light of faith? Second, let light reveal. That's what light does. Let it do its job. Um, the, the, the light of the world came in the person of Jesus Christ. And yes, he ascended to the Father. And he's not here physically with us. But he's left us with his spirit. And he's given us his word. The living, active word of God. And this is not just an ordinary book through which we try and find information. The whole purpose of the book is to get us to a person, the person of Jesus. That's what we, that when, when light reveals, it takes us to the person of Jesus so that we might say with the psalmist, the Lord is my light. I'm not looking for some force out here or some special kind of knowledge. I'm looking for Jesus. He is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. John is showing us that the light is beautiful. The person of Jesus is beautiful. Third, let light guide your life. How we live matters. We're not saved by works. We know better than that. I'm not going to even go down that rabbit rabbit trail. But the way we live matters. God has shown us how to live for our own good benefit, good and benefit because of his great love for us. He has shown us how to live. So we should not expect the benefits of light if we choose to walk in the darkness, walk in the light. Psalm 119, 129, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light and imparts to the simple. Life is found in the light of the person of Jesus. Fourth, as we live our lives in faith, they become shining lights to others, a testimony to the glory of the Lord. In the same way, Jesus said, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God's matchless and everlasting love knows no end. And he who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Light and life to all he brings. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Let's pray. Lord, would you implant this in our hearts and minds that, that you are life that your life brings light, would you help us to see? Would you open our eyes? Would you strengthen uh, our faith that we would believe it even when the darkness crowds into our lives, cloudies up our eyes, impairs the light, Lord, would you cause us to run to you, to a person, not to information, not to some ambiguous force, but to you, Jesus, the light of the world that in you we might find life. And when we do that, would you cause us to do that again and again, every time the doubt creeps in, every time we despair, every time we're faced with temptation, every time we give in, we would run to you and find forgiveness and love and redemption in full. Would you help us to see all that this is for our lives as we wait for your return? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.